This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, and welcome back to the Bunker Daily. For the past decade, a slow but steady stream of murderous crimes have been carried out in the name of an ideology which is represented by no political party, has no outriders in the mainstream press and rarely shows up in mainstream discourse, but nonetheless has a large number of followers. This is the incel movement, a loose, predominantly online network of involuntarily celibate men, opposed to the women who they feel have rejected them and who venerate those among their number who have turned to murder as a way of, as they see it, evening up the score. Where did incels come from? how widespread are their beliefs, and what can be done about them. Joining me today to discuss all this is William Costello, a psychology PhD at the University of Texas at Austin, who has extensively researched these online male communities. William, thanks for joining us in the bunker. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So firstly, how do you define what an incel is? It's not just as simple as someone who isn't successful with women, is it? Yeah, so this is a difficult question about how do you actually tightly define what an incel is. And for me, uh, it, it actually has to come to self-ownership of the identity because it's objectively impossible to prove that somebody can't gain access uh, to, to sex uh, or romantic relationships. So for me, the actual self-identification is a key part, but there is maybe what we could describe as maybe some incel-typical worldviews or incel-typical kind of cognition. But for me, there's no like time metric of being without sex or a relationship that makes you an incel. Uh, I think it has to be something that uh, is embraced as an identity by the individual. Can you outline what those core beliefs are? Like if someone's taken that step of self-identifying as part of that community, what are their beliefs that tend to come along with that? Right. So uh, the important thing to note is that the incelosphere is not really a monolith. It's really a, a widespread set of views. Uh, they don't really agree very much, actually, on the causes of or solutions to their problems. About the main thing that you can get them to agree on anything is something called the black pill worldview. And the black pill worldview is a derivative of the concept of the red pill from the movie The Matrix, which kind of denotes a willingness to see the world as it really is, as opposed to taking the blissful ignorance of the, the blue pill. The black pill, as incels refer to it, would refer to their belief that there is nothing they could ever do to improve their romantic prospects, and that it was over for them from the beginning, and there's no point in even trying. So that's about the, the main kind of nucleus that you can get a large degree of agreement on, but uh, on everything else, there's large disagreement too. 
For most people, their first awareness of this subculture was with the misogynistic murders carried out in Isla Vista in 2014 by Elliot Roger. Is that the year zero for this stuff, or does it date back further still? Uh, so, actually, uh, you know, I mean, there always had been incel kind of movements, and it was actually started by a, a lesbian online uh, forum in the late 1990s, but it kind of evolved after that. And yeah, we could say that 2014 is maybe the, the year zero, as you described it. Elliot Roger, you know, how typical he is of incel psychology isn't really that clear. He appears to be a very grandiose narcissist kind of aggrieved personality, but he's very much held up as the kind of prototypical incel in the media whenever they talk about incels. But it's important to note that uh, the amount of incels that turn violent is a very, very extreme minority. And uh, if we could say that the global death count associated with incel violence is uh, approximately about 60 to 70, 10 of which of those alone can be accounted for by Alec Manazian, who in Toronto drove his van into a crowd of people, killing 10 people. So he accounts for 10 of those deaths alone. And you always hear that Elliot Roger and Alec Manazian are held up as the kind of poster boys of the incel movement. But what's less often reported in the media is about the, the Alec Manazian judge's verdict on his case, where the judge actually deemed that he was completely piggybacking on the incel movement, that he wasn't really connected to the incel ideology in any real way, and that he was just trying to ratchet up his notoriety. I think the media has some sort of responsibility and needs to look at itself in the way it reports on alleged incel violence, because in my opinion, they should have a no notoriety kind of protocol. But if if you're a, a would-be incel spree killer, if you see all the other incel attackers getting their YouTube videos splashed all over the news, that could perhaps inspire future spree killing. So I think that's a, a worrying kind of trend with the sensationalizing uh, of the incel violence, which, as we say, is very much an extreme minority. And actually, even the incel misogyny, one study found that it's just produced by just 10% of incel accounts. So like with any community, if you judge it by the most extreme actions of a small minority within that community, you can uh, kind of um, paint a really sensationalized picture. I mean, as you say, there's always been men who were sexually unsuccessful. Is there any research into whether there's more of them now or is there just a heightened visibility because people can now congregate online in a way that they couldn't previously? So, yeah, there, there's always been a greater variability of male reproductive success. So actually, this kind of skew that most men or much more men than women don't get sex or relationships, that's actually been true for most of our evolutionary history. Now, like you say, groups of men weren't galvanizing around this identity before because they were probably out, like trying to form relationships. But I think uh, a couple of things are happening. Like you say, the internet is uh, allowing them to congregate. Victimhood is very much in vogue in terms of identity politics these days. So perhaps incels are seeing that and they're, they're taking, they want to have a little slice of victimhood pie themselves. But there are features of the modern mating market that are making it actually harder, particularly for lower income young men to form relationships. And it, it has come to a situation where many men are feeling that participating in the mating market is actually not worth it. It's very expensive and anxiety-inducing, and they're not having much success. So it might be a, an uncomfortable truth that for the last number of decades, many women have actually been settling with men 
that they might not have necessarily wanted to out of strict economic necessity or strict monogamy norms. And those are kind of stripped away now uh, for a more liberal kind of mating marketplace. And uh, you might find that a, a lot of men are just being disenfranchised there. But this mating crisis that disenfranchises many young men, it also hurts women too, because it means there are less eligible men on the mating market. So you have a, a skewed sex ratio of a, a lot of highly educated and selective women to a lot of economically unattractive men. So as women begin to outpace men in education, certainly, and uh, up until the age of 30, economically, you have this kind of supply and demand problem that there really is fewer and fewer good men out there. And what happens when you have a skewed sex ratio like that is that whichever sex ratio is in the minority, so the few eligible men, then they get to call the shots and typical for male psychology is that if they're in the minority, they won't want to commit long term. So if there's a lot of women compared to, to men in a society, men will be more likely to, to commit. But when men, the men are the small eligible one in the minority in the sex ratio, they call the shots, so they're reluctant to commit. So it's all uh, what we describe as a, a mating crisis. And taking a sort of step back and looking at the broader social picture, when we look at societies where you have a skewed ratio of some men to women, so sort of more men who get left on the shelf, as it were. What tend to be the sort of knock-on effects of that that we see? Right. So in the evolutionary psychology literature, we call that young male syndrome. And it's a consistent cross-cultural finding that whenever you have a surplus population of unpartnered young men, they're very, very destabilizing to society. They disproportionately hurt themselves and others in society. This is because they have elevated risk-taking and status-striving behaviors. So uh, it can also be described as a, a need for chaos. So they don't feel like they have a stake in society, so they, it's better for them to just burn the whole thing down. There's an African proverb that says that a child will burn down a whole village just to feel its warmth. So it's uh, the idea that if, they, if someone doesn't feel included or have a stake in society, they'll just tip the monopoly board over and just have that need for chaos, that that's a better option for them. And in terms of where we look at the incel movement sort of congregating, what have been the key places online where that's happened and why were those platforms in particular popular? Right. So I think the, the, there's kind of been a, a, there was an interesting paper called The Evolution of the Manosphere. Uh, so the Manosphere kind of refers to a wide range of kind of male oriented movements or groups or communities. You'd have the kind of the pickup artists, the MGTOW, uh, which refers to men going their own way, which are kind of similar to incels, but uh, more voluntarily uh, opting out of the mating market. And this paper, The Evolution of the Manosphere, talks about how incels initially came about by trying uh, pickup artist routines. So trying these kind of manipulative uh, workshops uh, that would train men how to to game the system to, to gain access to sex and romance. And it didn't work for them. So they concluded then, oh, we must be incels. Uh, they tried to galvanize in Reddit forums. These often get uh, shut down. 
Uh, so I believe that the most popular places for them to communicate now are kind of smaller groups of um, Discord, private kind of uh, communication channels amongst themselves. But there are dedicated incel forums too that are, that are pretty big, that are always pretty popular that they ha- have for themselves. But it, in my opinion, the more you kind of drive conversations like these or communities like these underground, that, that's dangerous in itself because, like I said, the more disenfranchised you make a, a population of society, the more you shut them out as away from society, the, the, the less they'll feel they have a stake in it. I should just mention uh, earlier when I mentioned the young male syndrome and this particular population being very dangerous, that doesn't appear to be happening with the current group of incels to the extent that we would expect it. You know, like I said, the global death count associated with incels is roughly 60 to 70, and uh, we would expect them to be much more destabilizing. And our best theory that we can maybe think about uh, why that's happening is that they might actually have their status striving mechanisms hijacked by these online worlds. So yes, it might be nauseating to look at the misogyny online or to have incels galvanizing online like this, but it actually might be preferable to what they would be doing offline if they weren't, if they didn't have those community spaces. So rather than incels being out in the world, status striving, causing trouble, they actually might be distracted by these online worlds. And is there a sort of hierarchy of incels within that world? There seems like an old term, but are there there sort of incel celebrities or kind of leaders within those forums? Uh, yeah, so there is things uh, like what you mentioned at the top of the program that they like venerate um, Elliot Roger and things like this. But how much of that is performative? It, it, it's not really clear. You know, incels are a very what I would describe as performatively antagonistic. They will say anything to get a rise out of you. So it's literally that's their raison d'etre is to try and prove themselves right that you hate them. So they do that by saying whatever they think will annoy you online. In terms of hierarchy within there, that's interesting because like it is a a new kind of status game. They will certainly kind of try to differentiate between what they will call a true cell and a vol cell. So a true cell is somebody who they would deem genuinely never stood a chance romantically, where a vol cell might be somebody who's just voluntarily opting out of the mating market because they find it too tough, but that they probably could go out and find romance if they wanted. But it's interesting that the incel community is often quite self-defeating and it's kind of fatalistic and circular. So if an incel comes back to a forum and reports that they went on a date, for example, or they have a chance to have romantic prospect, they might get kicked off the, the forum. So their whole community and fraternity is taken away from them. So it's, they're reluctant to do that. So that's the kind of way hierarchies might play out. They, they, they do also have maybe kind of some demeaning, derogatory, racialized slang where they kind of uh, use some unpalatable language to talk about different ethnicities of cells in the community. And from your research, what's the usual life cycle of being an incel? Is this something which people drift in and out of relatively quickly, or does it seem to exert a more long-term hold over them? Yeah, so it's not linear. Um, It doesn't appear to be linear anyway, but that's something that maybe should be studied more specifically, actually, uh, the life cycle. Uh, So when an incel comes out of it, stops being an incel, it's referred to as ascending. So someone has ascended. But like I said, they're kind of limiting on that. That kind of proves their whole worldview wrong if an incel ascends. So they're kind of tried to stop fellow incels from doing that. 
So it's problematic uh, like that. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. When does one stop being an incel? If you have one relationship, if you have sex one time, or do you go back to being an incel after another long period of having difficulty accessing? So yeah, it's very much not linear, I would say. And then if, if you think about incel as more like a worldview rather than a circumstance or condition, then it's different again. Like you could actually theoretically have someone who's a little bit, who could have sexual success, but sees the world almost identically to how many incels do. It's interesting. It, it depends on how you define incels. Have you encountered many people through your research who came out of the other side of this sort of life? I mean, is there anything that seems to work in terms of reconnecting people with this worldview to normal society again? I haven't, uh, in, I've mainly focused on people who are currently in their incel identity, but they've talked about this. Some of them have talked about this being non-linear or be, yeah, being non-linear and going in and out and drifting back, almost like kind of an addiction, like a, to, to relapse and go back into incel typical cognition and beliefs. In terms of what might work in like de-radicalizing incels, I think, yeah, like I said, that, that idea of the, the stake in society. So what incels do with the black pill is that the black pill basically describes that it's better to have no hope than a little bit of hope. And a little bit of hope can be actually dangerous for an incel because it's not obvious to me that re-engaging with the mating market and trying to get a girlfriend is the best solution for all incels because, you know, the world of romance can be quite galling at times, especially for a, a socially anxious young man who's been rejected a lot or is perceiving the world to reject him a lot. That might actually be quite uncomfortable for him and for the women he's maybe trying to to pursue. So it's not obvious to me that that's the one direction. It might uh, We might try to explore models of acceptance or, you know, um, self-development as an individual more broadly, because some research has found that incels don't just lack romantic options. They actually lack wider social connections too. So they're uh, many described as having no friends at all, having very limited social support, if you had friends, that could be a buffer against the harmful impact of consistent romantic rejection. And just finally, you mentioned there about, you know, the, the rate of violence amongst incels is relatively low for the size of the group. But do you have concerns that they could be sort of groomed or preyed on or sort of activated more broadly? Because it seems like you know, having a large group of young men like that who have those sort of worldviews is sort of prone to a more sort of serious outcome. Yeah, it's my view that uh, extreme extremism in inceldom looks more like uh, suicidality rather than violence or kind of terrorism. It's very unlikely, in my opinion, to see a very galvanised organized uh, terrorist uprising of incels because they're not very organized and they don't agree a lot. William Costello, thank you for joining me on The Bunker today. Thanks for having me. Listeners, just a reminder that as an independent operation, The Bunker is kept on air by the direct support of listeners like you. If you're enjoying the shows throughout the week, look us up on Patreon where you can help us keep going for as little as £2 per month. The money you pledge goes directly to making the shows and also supports us developing new series like Doomsday Watch and Origin Story, both of which are available to listen to right now. Just search Patreon Bunker Podcast and you'll get your favourite shows early and without ads every week. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Bunker Daily was presented by Justin Quirk.
The producers were Jelena Sofronievich, Jacob Archbold and Alex Reese. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis and the audio producer was me, Jay Bailey. Group editor Andrew Harrison, theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>